Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. When you started your career, you quite possibly were in awe of the senior developers, at least for the first job or two. Later, you may still be impressed by some of them, but others will seem like they were promoted past their abilities. In this episode, we're going to discuss some indications that a senior developer needs more training to really fit the role. This is not only useful for those situations where you need to evaluate another developer's relative knowledge, but will prove useful for determining where your own weak spots are when you land in a senior role. But before we get started, Will, where are your weaknesses this week? Well, I can tell you my personal laptop has issues with 802.11n on Linux because I could not connect to my parents' Wi-Fi. And I went in and found a command where I could actually turn off 802.11n and it would use G and then it worked perfectly. And like some dude on Reddit's like, but this will slow everything down unacceptably. And like I was getting better ping times on their wireless than I do on mine here at the house, which tells me I need to fix something at the house. But it was kind of a, a strange situation to have to actually dig into that. But I was able to successfully do it. I'm so close to being able to completely switch. Almost there, bro. Almost there. How about you? Well, I was kind of hoping to get you over to the Mac Mini, but you know, it is what it is. I've been specking out MacBook Pros and I know the one I want and I know how much it's going to cost. And if I get it on a 12 month, it's going to be a car payment. But you know, yeah, that's all I'm saying. But I might have one at some point. Anyway, so I played on stage this past Saturday morning at church. Yeah, uh, we have a Saturday morning prayer service and that's where everyone starts. Two reasons. One, there's fewer people. And so everyone there is like members of the church and they come all the time. So if you mess up, it's like, oh, hey, you know, they know you're new. They probably know you already pretty well. Also, it is the most transitions. So it is actually the most difficult to play. So like the the structure, instead of like, if you think of like a normal church set, it's usually like three worship songs and then speaking. And sometimes the band comes back up for a little bit at the end of the, the speaking. With this, it's worship song and then speaker and the keyboard plays behind the speaker. I was on the synth, so I wasn't playing, but, uh, and then at the two minute mark, because it's a 10 minute uh, lesson, at the two minute mark, the rest of the band starts slowly coming in. So not only did I have to know the rhythm that the keyboard player was playing, but I also had to know what chords she was playing. So we actually, it was my friend Whitney who was um, playing keyboards. So I actually got together with her beforehand, probably about a week or so before, and just recorded her playing what she was going to play. So I could listen to it and I could like hear the differences and practice coming in at the right time, which was really helpful because I nailed that. 
I did really well on that part. So then there's a second song. Then we have this uh, time of independent prayer where they play music through the speakers and everybody sort of goes into their own little space and prays. Then we come back together and have a worship song. And then the speaker comes up and leads everyone in prayer while the band plays behind them. And that's where I messed up. <laughs> so I did, I did fine on the song, but the 10 minutes of just like playing, at some point, I got off by one chord in the progression. It's really tricky. Um, Will's not going to understand this, no offense. She probably can't skip, right? Because you're in a sequence. Yeah. So it's like, it was E minor, C, G, G over F sharp. So there's like one note difference between E minor and C and one note difference between G and G over F sharp. So hearing that, I did not hear that I was off because I just am not there yet. Our worship director did hear that I was off and tried to whisper into her microphone to help me get back on, did not hear her because I had the keyboard turned up so loud so that I could hear the rhythm. And I was so focused on not losing the rhythm that I did not hear that I was off. She did tell me after the fact that I was on rhythm the entire time. So (laughs) I had that going for me. But as soon as she started singing, I was like, I'm playing the wrong chord. And so I just like came in on the next one. I was like, all right, now I'm back on. And I was good the rest of the the time. But when I went back and listened to it, another thing that I learned was I was playing a little too softly. So you couldn't hear, even before I messed up, you couldn't hear the synth very well. So I don't think anyone else noticed. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, if nobody told you, it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I talked to um, one of my friends who used to play synth on the team and I told her what I did and she's like, I didn't even notice. And I'm like, yeah, I think I was playing a little too softly. So that's another thing I got to work on. But still. Also, in unrelated news, there's a new Lindsay Sterling video with Amy Lee. Really awesome. Amy Lee is the lead singer from Evanescence. Ah. Yeah. Will's facial expression. So I don't know names of musicians for the most part. Well, I mean, I know like Lars from Metallica is kind of a jerk, but <laughs> I think everybody knows that. I'm really stoked to see how the uh, the Gen Z kids that watch Stranger Things, like they're like, they're pirating Metallica stuff and I'm just waiting. <laughs> like we've seen this show. That's funny. That is funny. Yeah. So for, for those of you who don't know, uh, Amy Lee went to MTSU down here in Murfreesboro. I don't think she graduated. I think Evanescence took off what, like one oh two ish? Like we were in college when it yeah. really took off. Like she's the same age as us. And so, but yeah, I've seen her in concert several times. Not as often as Lindsay, but yeah. So that watching that video was really cool. It came out today, so that was really nice. Saving money is hard, especially when you're into musical instruments. True that. I mean Will can see all the, the instruments I have behind me, and they are not cheap. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but also to take action so that you can live your best life by executing on that plan. 
So guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself and a few new guitars. <laughs> Level Up has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. Best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. And what that means is he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face. And he also interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And you can learn even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. I love the way you, you wrote this intro paragraph, man. Like, that, is, that is so cool. Because it's exactly how I talk. We've all met that dude. And dude being the true Gen X gender neutral term that it is. It seems like there's always just that one developer, usually with at least five years of experience, sometimes even more, who is said to be a senior developer, but whose presence on a team is often negative. The uh, expert beginner has always been with us and is the reason so many industries require extensive certifications before considering someone senior enough to be in charge of anything. However, in software development, we have a long and proud tradition of being resistant, if not outright hostile, to certifications. While this has allowed our industry to evolve quite rapidly, it also has meant that sometimes we end up with senior developers who aren't completely prepared for their role. Yeah, and in fact, even in industries where certifications are required to advance, it still requires a lot of experience and growth on the job for someone to truly be suited to a senior role, even if they pass the exam. There are many factors that are hard to measure on a standardized test. Those things are only truly tested by the crucible of real-world experience. At the end of the day, you should generally only get into a senior position when you're seasoned enough that your mistakes aren't terribly destructive. If you're expecting to be perfect by the time you're a senior, you're either in for a rude awakening or for an eternal wait. And probably both. However, you really need to have a good way to know if a senior developer is a bit soft in regards to their skill set or even a portion of their skill set. This is especially critical when the senior developer is you. Besides the impact on productivity that imposter syndrome causes, there are a lot of risks to really being inadequate as a senior developer. And the cost of these risks can be extremely expensive. You should always be vigilant for places where your attitude, your lack of humility, or simply your tendency to settle into comfort have made you less capable. You'll want to fix these problems before they become obvious to everyone else. In this episode, we're going to discuss some tendencies that can cause a senior developer to be inadequate at their job. If you've been at this a while, you can probably recall working with developers who had one or more of these traits. And if you're really honest, you can probably recall plenty of times where you yourself exhibited one or more of these characteristics. 
they're a natural part of the learning curve with the most important learning happening after you realize how dysfunctional they are and then you fix them. Rather than looking at these issues as excuses to condemn yourself or someone else, look at them as opportunities for improvement. And best of all, they're often extremely obvious opportunities once you start looking for them. All right. So number one in ways that you can tell your senior is underskilled. I feel like there should be a drum roll or something like we're doing a top 10 list or something here. There's not even 10 of them, is there? We're not doing a drum roll with my sense of rhythm. All right. <laughs> that's that's not going to be good for anybody. They're going to think something's wrong with their car. I will tell you straight up, rhythm is a skill that can be learned. That's great. It has not been learned <laughs> in the chair that I'm sitting in right here. So uh, speaking of things that can be learned, the first one is missing fundamentals. It's really easy to get into a senior role without senior level skills. You just avoid getting fired for a while and don't learn anything. Yeah. This is the uh, idea of the developer who's had the same, like he's got 10 years of experience, but it's the same year. Yeah. And the industry is full of these kind of people. And the fact is, is they get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Like It's not like they're a negative influence on the team. It's just, hey, they're, they're less optimal than they could be. And their career works out to be less optimal than it could be for them. Yeah, that's very true. And like... A lot of times these can be some of your workhorse people who come in, they work their nine to five and they go home because, you know, they got other stuff going on. They got lives. I mean, not saying that either one of us don't have lives, but we do have a podcast. So I don't know. Does that mean we don't have lives? (laughs) Um, A question for the philosophers. That is true. That is true. Guys, when a senior developer doesn't know basic things about how computers work, or makes very loud, very incorrect assertions, that is usually an indicator that they are missing some fundamental knowledge. Yeah, and, and bear in mind, this fundamental knowledge isn't like, oh, yeah, make some assertion about how React renders components. And I don't know about the Shadow DOM or something like that. It's not this kind of stuff. It's stuff like, you know, I worked with a guy years ago who... And we're like, okay, we'll generate a random number, right? And we're sitting at lunch and we're like, you know, one of the guys goes, well, you know, it's not really a random number in, in a computer. It's just an unpredictable number to us. You know, it's deterministic. And the guy goes, well, I mean, but, you know, that depends on the seed, right? And it's like, no, it, it doesn't depend on the seed. He goes, what if I use a random number as the seed for the random number? And I'm like, but you don't have a random number for the random number seed. And it went round and round. And he was like, what if I use a random number for the seed and then take the number out of that and use it as the seed in the next one? And that'll make it random. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Do that. Because I was tired of having the conversation. I just wanted to eat my tacos. And you'll run into developers like this. And this was a guy with like 25 years experience. I love the fact that you knew what you were eating. (laughs) Well past the level where, bro, this is something that you should kind of understand by now. Yeah, yeah. But he hadn't had to. No. That, that's kind of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because he'd basically been in the same position for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Now, when you notice that you deeply misunderstand something basic, you need to fix this as soon as you can. Like, there is no way to cover up a fundamental misunderstanding of basics. You're going to be found out. You can be quiet for a while. The wise man holds his tongue, but 
The fool opens his mouth and removes all doubt. Yes, basically. But uh, it's going to come out, even if you are being quiet. Yeah, and the tendency is to try to cover that up, right? Because we, we go, okay, my expertise is a thing of value that I'm bringing to the table and I'm getting paid for. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is if you find that you've got an issue and it's like, okay, I've got to double down on this. I got to figure this out. I got to get my fundamentals in order and you fix it. You go, yeah, I didn't quite understand that, but I realized from the conversation we had that I needed to work on that. I worked on it. Here's the stuff I learned. Mm-hmm. If you can say that, you just show that you're capable of growth. If, on the other hand, you double down on the misunderstanding, people talk about you on a podcast years later as the guy that didn't understand that randoms aren't. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, you just got to bear that in mind. Like, that made an impression. I can remember what I was eating Mm -hmm. during that conversation. And it's been a while. And Will eats a lot. Yeah. And I enjoy my food. It was like some some buffalo chicken tacos. That sounds pretty good, man. They were real good. They're buffalo chicken with like the red onions. Yeah, that sounds good, man. That sounds spinach, good. and it had like a um, it was like a sweet heat type buffalo. It wasn't like the salty buffalo chicken like you toss wings in. It was not really buffalo. It was kind of like a I don't, I don't know exactly how I would describe it. But you you know a lot about this meal. That's how big of an impression it made. Yeah, it, it's sort of like uh, it's like other major events. Like everybody knows where they were on nine eleven. I know where I was when this guy said this. Yeah, you know because it was just such a jolt. Like I'm looking at, at it, and initially I'm like, man, he's you know, he's clueless. But you're like, you know, there's probably something that I'm that clueless on, and I don't know what it is yet. Oh yeah, you're second order ignorant of it. Yeah, and you know, when am I going to find whatever that is? And once you have that thought, it is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next skill, I don't know. Next deficit. Deficit. Yeah, that's a good one. Deficit is over abstraction. I had a conversation about this today um, with a, another lead developer and stuff. But in your career, you're supposed to start valuing abstraction. It's a huge multiplier of effort to be able to reuse code that you've already written. Also, it really makes maintenance a lot easier when you have like one place. And we we were talking about um, base classes today. And like I was explaining how it's like, I like to do this with generics in .NET, but I also recognize not everyone really gets them. So I don't unless I know I'm going to be the only one in the code base. Yeah. Abstraction is good, Mm -hmm. right? But it's like all good things. There is a limit to the dose makes the poison, if you will, right? Like if you believe that water is good for you, that shouldn't cause you to believe that drowning is even better. (laughs) Right? Right. And people do this with code, with with layers of abstraction, because I've worked on those kind of code bases. I've made a career cleaning up a lot of that kind of stuff, either where there was no abstraction or where it was all abstracted. Mm-hmm. You really need to have kind of a measured approach to abstraction. As a senior, you should be able to go, okay, I know when this is appropriate and when it is not. And you probably have a rule of thumb or two that you have developed and you've got some things that you've seen. So like the thing with generics, right? Mm -hmm. If you were writing something where, yeah, there's generics under the hood, but you're exposing it 
in a way that the other developers are never going to have to touch the generic, you probably would do it. Whereas if they're going to have to put generic constraints and inherit from it and do callbacks and stuff with generic parameters, you probably wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So in particular, a senior developer should be experienced enough to understand that just because two things look similar right now, that does not imply that they are or that they always will be. You know, such a developer also understands things like moral hazards that can cause code reuse when it really isn't merited. Yeah, so a a great example of this. Okay, you know, you got a chunk of code that you're calling. I've seen this in tenanted systems, Mm -hmm. right? Where you've got multiple clients and each one is a tenant. And you have a chunk of middleware that goes and loads up the organizational information to check and make sure that this person can access this tenant when they sign in or you know, when they hit a page or whatever. Cool. So you make a repository method that gets that little chunk of data. Mm-hmm. Dude bro comes along. Dude bro's like, hey, I need to load the user list for this org. And I've already got a method that loads the org. So I will go into that method and add the user list to it. Dude bro number two or dude bro returning comes in and says, hey, I need the roles for all those users now. And you end up with this thing being loaded on every request. This massive, you're pulling half the database back for every request and your server performance goes down the toilet. Mm -hmm. That's a moral hazard, right? Dude bro could have written another method and said, hey, this is not the same thing. So I'm going to do something different. Yeah. But they saved a little bit of time. You know, that's kind of what I, I'm talking about with a, with a moral hazard because it seems okay, especially until you get into production under load. And by then, it's, there's going to be so much crap tangled in there, you may find a, it's difficult to actually figure out where the problem is. Yeah. Because you're looking at instrumenting stuff across the board now. And you're probably going to think that nobody would be dumb enough to put this in the middleware call. But even some of the best devs I know have done that. <laughs> yeah. So. If you bristled at the suggestion that not all abstractions are good, this case probably applies to you. Uh, We hate to put it that bluntly, but there are just way too many senior devs in the industry who look at code duplication as some sort of original sin that has to be avoided at all costs. Do not be that person. If you can't think of a situation where abstraction is not a good idea, you probably should not abstract. They all leak, and so it's... you need to be looking at it from the perspective of if I can't find the leak, I should not build the vessel that leaks. Mm -hmm. So next is an unwillingness to learn. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier from the other side of it, whereas a willingness to learn is a good thing. But um, honestly, as you reach a senior level, you will probably be doing so mostly while working within a single stack. You know, usually using a few slightly different approaches that you can learn over time from coworkers. Eventually, you have to have a deep understanding of one way to do things. And that way usually works well. Right. Like that's what the early seniors tend to be or upper mid levels. Mm-hmm. They've got expertise in one area. They can lock it down. They can get stuff done. But that's what you're yeah. getting paid for. But at the senior level, you need to be ready for all your understandings to start getting disrupted. Mm-hmm. The industry's approach to building systems is under constant evolutionary pressure. 
And as a senior developer, you are going to be in the middle of that and you have to evolve as well, right? You've been at it long enough that, hey, the new, you know, the version of Angular that you did when you started your career is not there now. And even though the JavaScript pace is, feels like it's slowed down a lot and it's less awful than it was a few <laughs> years ago, you know, that's yeah. definitely a thing. Like if I were to work in the stuff that I used when I started my career, I'm not sure that I could get it running on Windows, much less do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compounding the difficulty, like any fast-changing system, lots of approaches and new platforms will sound like a good fit at first and will end up failing spectacularly. Even ones that people really liked. Silverlight. And Silverlight didn't fail based on its own merits or lack thereof. It failed because like the browser vendors are like, nope, we're not doing this. Yeah. And you know, you have to be aware that this is going to happen. So like you're going to go down some false Mm -hmm. paths and go, oh, this is a great thing. This is, you know, this is going to be the best thing in the world. And then it doesn't work. And you got to be able to take those learnings and not throw that time away, even though you're not using that, that stuff. And also the next time you see something that is in that same vein, not necessarily throwing it out because it reminds you of the previous one, unless there's a good technical, like if you have a technical reason, that's like, Hey, this does not work because computers don't do this. That's one thing. It's another thing to go, Oh, well I can't, I'm never going to be able to write code. That's not in JavaScript in a web browser. Right. Because, you know, I, I kind of did this around the Silverlight days, honestly, because I had done ActiveX documents in Visual Basic back in the day. And looking at Silverlight, I put off learning it, using it, messing with it because I was like, hey, this isn't pipe dream. And it turned out I was right, but I found out I was right 10 years later. You know, like I could have probably done some neat stuff with Silverlight and made a lot of money in the interim. And still been totally fine and shifted that knowledge to doing WPF. Yeah. Right. So like it wouldn't have been a complete waste and loss. Mm-hmm. And now with WebAssembly, we're kind of back to the same thing. So I'm kind of wondering if somebody's going to eventually make it where you can make WebAssembly stuff happen with like the old Silverlight setup. I was wondering that too, but I wasn't going to go down that road. Yeah. There's a dude that is, I'm sure. Oh, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And if you are that dude. Yeah. Reach out to us. Let's talk about it. Yeah. We'll bring you on the show. We can talk about it. Regardless, if you just instinctively dislike an approach, be very careful about it unless you can explain why you dislike it. You'll be surprised how often you can take useful lessons from other frameworks, platforms, or approaches that prove useful to you, even if you stay with your current approach. So like learning Ruby on Rails for me, for instance. That is what cleared up things like lambdas and closures and really some of the callback stuff even. And I brought that back into .NET for myself. And so when that stuff hit the .NET framework and started widely being used, I was already comfortable with it. Yeah, I remember you telling me that before. Yeah, it helped a lot. Didn't help me with expression trees at all. It was a whole other level. So one of the things that I absolutely love about this industry is that you are always going to be learning something new it's the same thing with music like there's always more to learn and if you're not willing to constantly be learning you may be in the wrong industry and i'll add one further it's not just this industry anymore Mm -hmm. everything is constantly changing and people are constantly retooling 
there's not a lot of places you can go where you could do things the same way you did in 1974. Yeah. That's very true. So the next item in the list is intent technique mismatch. So a senior developer should understand that not all code needs to be at the same level of abstraction, documentation, or even testing. You should think about what you're trying to accomplish with a piece of code before applying a full suite of code quality stuff to it or failing to to do so, right? Like you should match the intent of what you're trying to do should match what you're doing. Yeah, Sometimes you're really just doing a proof of concept to see if something's even possible. While other times a problem in your code could literally cause bankruptcy. You should be able to vary your devotion to coding standards based on what you're actually trying to do rather than some idealism. And you'll see this a lot with even like little applications where somebody's like, oh, I've got to have a three-tier design. So I've got to have three different DLLs, right? And I'm going to use domain-driven design on this thing. Everything's going to be an interface so it can all be mocked and tested. And and to some degree, yeah, if it's a production application, you probably should. I've just seen a lot of them that I'm like, dude, you could probably just do like parameterized SQL to the database from here and be done with this thing in a week or two instead of six months. Yeah. And you know, you need to be thinking about how value gets delivered by the thing that you're writing and make sure that what you're doing is in line with that. And this one I know is pretty controversial, but I'll also add that if you can't figure out what the intent is for a piece of code, you should not be writing it because in that state, you don't have any acceptance criteria to tell you when your work is actually done. Uh, this is a great way to end up with really hacky test code getting into production. I know I've got stories on this. I know you've got stories on this because every developer that has <laughs> survived for more than five years has done this, right? Like you write some absolute pile of crap to prove something out and you don't do a horrible job of it and it goes to production because somebody's like, hey, well, we already got this thing. We just, we can tweak it and, you know, we can knock out the bugs as we go and fundamental things that you don't understand correctly, make it into production and stay there for years and then it blows up. Yeah, at my last job, I spent the last year and a half fixing that. It wasn't so much anyone's fault as the proof of concept got used for things it was never really intended for. Yeah. And there was always the intent of, hey, we need to go back and and really address this. And years went by. And finally, we finally got around to it. And it was like, oh, wow, this is a really big project. Yeah, and everything gets built on top of it. So that's why you want to make it very clear when you're doing a spike, when you're doing some kind of test, mm-hmm. when you're doing a production quality application for NASA. That's a different thing than doing <laughs> a quick and dirty, oh, I want to try this message queue implementation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. If you notice that you frequently over or under engineer code or that your habits got you or basically got in your way while writing code or maybe even burned you after it was deployed. This is definitely something you want to work on. I mean, I've, I've been there. Yeah, I, I've definitely changed the way that I code based on having to go back and maintain the code that I wrote six months ago. Yeah. And don't worry about not being perfect at this. I mean, this is something that you're going to constantly be improving. And 
it's very easy to learn something new and go, hey, this applies here, and then want to apply it in a lot of places. There's a bit of a learning curve. There's a little bit of a, all right, I got to learn, like, I got to apply this in the wrong place a few times before I learn where to apply it and where not to. And so don't beat yourself up over this one because it's part of the growth process. Even if you are a senior developer, it's still part of your growth as a senior doing this. Yeah. Well, and just being aware that this is a place that you're going to have to grow the whole time is is sort of the point. Never make the assumption that you've arrived and you'll be fine. So speaking of making assumptions about arrival or lack thereof, uh, the next one is the inability to teach. And this one is going to sound weird because there's a lot of senior devs that are like, but I just want to write code. That's great, but other people are asking you questions. They're looking up to you. They're learning from you in a work environment. It's very unlikely that you are not going to collaborate in helping somebody else learn. And honestly, if you really want to understand something well, teach it to other people because it will force you to do it and it'll force you to simplify things that are mm-hmm. more complex in your head. At the very least, you need to be able to explain things to people in words they understand. A lot, a lot of what we do is complex to implement, though not as nearly difficult to understand when you're explaining them to to people who don't have to implement them. Like, you guys listen to us. You know, we use a lot of analogies. We use parables. We use similes. We use metaphors. And a lot of times we discard details that are relevant just because it doesn't matter and sometimes it's to protect the guilty but uh, and ourselves from, you know, people getting mad at us. <laughs> but, uh, but realistically, though, you don't have to get into the very specific details. I'm bad about doing this with storytelling, too, because I default to doing this. I will base, like, I could be explaining to you literally what happened and I will leave things out if I don't think they're relevant to you. And I won't do it on purpose. It's just how I tell stories. Like that detail doesn't matter to you. And someone else who's heard the story, I've had this happen where someone else heard the story and like, well, you didn't tell them about that. I was like, it wasn't relevant to what I was, the point I was making. Or it would distract them from getting to the understanding. Like, yeah, that's the point of teaching, right? Is taking a person from where they are to a point of understanding that you want them to be at. Mm-hmm. Not to take them to the point of understanding that you are at. Yeah. And being able to kind of make that difference. It, it's it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And this is really a lot more than just subject matter expertise. It also includes enough expertise in the business domain in which you're working to understand where non-technical or less technical people are coming from and what they actually need from you. Yeah. If you are a senior, you should be past the point where you're throwing specialized technical terms into discussions just to look like an expert or to look smart in conversations. Your goal is your goal, not your ego. You know, you you don't have to look smart. You got the title. Yeah. And this is something I, I like to rag on functional programmers about this, but throwing out, okay, well, this is, this is a monad. Great. You're talking to other developers. Cool. You're you know, talking to other developers who understand functional programming and this is monadic and da-da-da-da. But if you're ever in a business meeting and you're and you're like, oh, it's a monad, they go, oh, what's a monad? And you go, well, it's a monoid in the category of endofunctors. You failed. Yeah. 
They don't need to know that. Well, it's not only that they don't need to know that, but when you're explaining things, it like it should not have gotten anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. Because that that is not good communication. That's true. That's true. So guys, finally, inability to grasp office politics. I knew Will was going to put this one in here. It's, it's very important to him. And it is very important to, to you too. A lot of developers hate office politics. A lot of people in general hate office politics. I hate it. I mean, I hate it. Yeah. Straight up. It's just, it is what it is. And most of us have a good reason for this distaste for it. It gets in the way of good design, becomes a distraction, and often elevates people to positions of power and influence that they really would not have reached on their own merit. Yeah. Um, and Beach didn't read it, but I, you know, I put the words obnoxious bootlickers in there. Like You'll see people like that, and you're like, this, this yeah. guy should not be in the position he's in. There was a phrase that my dad used, something the effect of, was it the, uh, the cream eventually rises to the top, but some things float immediately? Yeah. So, but you know, the thing is, is office politics are ubiquitous. The only thing that varies is how dysfunctional and maladaptive they are to what you're trying to get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on occasion, they're even favorable. If you've got good management, if you've got people that understand that people problems are a bigger threat most of the time than engineering problems, you might be okay. But you have to understand that they're part of the environment no matter what your opinion of them is. It's like having an accent. People go, oh, I don't have an accent. It's like, yes, you do. It's just whether it's noticeable or not. That's that's completely fair. I don't have an accent, but y'all do. Depends on where I'm at. Most people tell me I don't have an accent because I'm, I live in Tennessee and I don't sound like it. But uh, I go over to Albania and I speak Albanian and i told I sound like I'm from Tirana. So I don't know. I guess I have a Toronto accent over there. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think if you went up to, I don't know, Detroit or California somewhere, like you would definitely come off as Southern. Oh, no, I do a great Valley Girl. I can totally pull off the California Valley Girl. Yeah. Somehow that <laughs> prizes absolutely no one listening. <laughs> oh, my. Anything you do including writing specifications, needs to be done with at least some understanding of how it will be received and how it will impact the other people around you. Failing to do this creates problems that have nothing to do with technology, but can really mess up a project. Yeah. I mean, I've been in so many meetings where somebody will just, you know, drop some little comment that's like a little bit of snark and it makes them feel better. And it ticks off the entire development team to the point where they're not listening for the rest of the meeting when there's other information being presented that they need because they're chatting Mm -hmm. back and forth about how much of a jerk this person is. That does not surprise me. Immature and unprofessional they are. Like, you have to bear this in mind because this is capable of neutralizing your entire team's effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you especially need to be careful where you put your feet when the people above you in the chain of command are having a conflict. It's never good to fail at these sort of things. And frankly, it's not a whole lot of fun to win either, especially if you just want to focus on code, because if the people above you see you play politics and play it well, it really just makes people nervous. Like you really just need to kind of keep your nose out of it 
because even if you win, that's you're now a threat at best. Like that's the best outcome for openly playing office politics uh, versus acknowledging that they're there. Yeah. I've learned that one the hard way once or twice. I'm not surprised by that. Not since I've been in development because I had lots of experience beforehand, but I, I learned that in in other industries before I got into development and learned to just sort of avoid that kind of stuff. I still, I mean, I've made mistakes even as a developer, but not as many as I did when I was in my 20s. And, and hot-headed and... Hospital politics are even worse than than office politics. So that's all I'm saying. It's a whole different environment. And so, yeah. And then other other things too, other jobs. Oh my, yeah. I've learned my lessons the hard way too. So so guys, being a senior developer has never been about time and grade. You're getting paid more than a junior. In a lot of cases, a great deal more than a junior. This means that you have to provide value in excess of having had the same year of experience a dozen times. As you continue your career, you're going to notice a whole lot of people really don't get the memo on this one. And if you're at all introspective, you probably realize the extreme necessity of making sure that you aren't one of the inadequate senior developers. Thankfully, there really aren't that many things that you can screw up here. Instead, there are a few things that you can screw up that will manifest themselves in a number of ways. That's what most of these things are, right? It's a lack of, really a lack of desire to grow and learn. Like if you got a growth mindset, most of these go away. Mm-hmm. If you got a growth mindset and humility, they all go away. And, you know, really the humility and open-mindedness like is going to help you throughout your career, but especially, you know, as you become a senior developer, it's going to be critically important. And that's pretty much all we've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash complete developer podcast you'll get extras including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons you can also follow us on twitter at complete dev pod like our page on facebook and follow us on instagram to keep up with news about the show join the conversation anytime via slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com thanks for listening see you next time